Uh, there's two key elements to a mini cut. It's short in duration. So two to six weeks is the timeline I work with. And on average, three, maybe four weeks. But it's a fast rate of fat loss, which you can achieve. And it is very much a tool that can be used to facilitate more muscle longer term. Welcome to the Barbend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by Barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to trainer, writer, and podcaster, Tom McCormick, a writer for awesome sites like Breaking Muscle and Barbend, but hey, I'm biased. Tom is a veteran of the strength and conditioning industry. But one thing he's best known for online is helping people harness the power of mini cuts, targeted specific periods of concentrated fat loss that Tom says can actually help long-term muscle building and strength goals. Tom joins us to explain how mini cuts can be adapted to almost any training environment, along with tips on how to balance nutritional parameters within gym progress. But before we get to that, a quick shout out to today's episode sponsor, Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic, free of fillers, and contain less than 3 grams of sugar per serving. Take their red juice as an example. It's formulated to recharge your mind and body with a delicious berry blend of premium superfoods that contains potent adaptogens, antioxidants, and a clinical dose of cordyceps. It's designed to promote energy with zero caffeine and only two grams of sugar. Go to Organifi.com forward slash barbend and use the code barbend for 20% off your order. Now let's get on with the show. Tom, I'm so excited to join you on this podcast. I'm so excited you're joining me on this podcast because I've listened to so many podcasts you've been on and so much knowledge you've shared has impacted me and my strength journey and what we do at Barbend and now Barbend Plus Breaking Muscle. So first off, thrilled to have you on today. How are you doing? Uh, well, I'm thrilled to be on. Thank you. And um, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm doing really, really well. It's nice and nice and sunny here uh, over in uh, Surrey countryside outside, uh, outside London. What's not to like? <laughs> well, I, the, my stereotype of the area right outside or right around London is often that it's not sunny. Is that an incorrect stereotype? No, no, that's exactly that's why I'm basking in this uh, this sunshine because uh, well, 364 days of the year we've got grey drizzle, uh, a bit of sun today. Um, that's a slight exaggeration, but but it's not as much of an exaggeration as I wish it were. Well, I guess all that reading of and uh, all those Charles Dickens adaptation movies were, were not totally far off back in <laughs> yeah. the day. Um, they well, got the weather right. They got the they nailed it. Well, let's talk a little bit about your background in strength and conditioning and strength training uh, because I think it's really fascinating. Uh, and the thing I really like about this, and this might be a very American perspective, Americans, the best way to motivate an American is to tell them they can't do something, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and. You know, I love how your journey started with someone saying, "Hey, you can't do something because you're too small and you're, you're too weak." Yeah. And I think that's such an interesting starting point that so many people in this space have actually experienced, and a lot of us don't talk about it because we don't want to express that, "Hey, we got started from a point of vulnerability." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, a, it's a good point, and, I, and I'm sure there's plenty of people, different uh, scenarios, but have a, have that similar kind of uh, that that backstory, as it were. So to give you a sort of 
the listeners uh, an, an insight that that mention of me being too skinny, too weak, that was related to uh, my pursuit of a career as a professional rugby player. From the age of eight, I knew I told everyone I want to be a, rug- a rugby player when I grow up. When I was eight, it wasn't even possible to be a professional rugby player. The sport was amateur. Uh, I don't know if you know that, but it was not until um, the mid to late 90s that I actually turned professional. Anyway, I was I was passionate about it. I was good, but I was also I was also very small. Now, for for any listeners not familiar with rugby, most of the guys that succeed they're pretty pretty good athletes, right? You know, maybe not quite as uh, as athletic as the average NFL player, but but not a million miles away, right? So, being a scrawny sort of eighteen year old who's just come out of school, who's been a good player and could get by on skill and game knowledge, suddenly trying to make that step up to the professional level, and all I all I was told is, ah, you're pretty good, but you're way too small. Just get you need to get bigger. Too small. Too small. And, and I had to. I hated the gym early on. So I I would enjoy the conditioning side of the training. I you know I'd actually get out and run that sort of thing. That was that then was something I loved. Uh, I would avoid the weight room at all costs because it's no fun going in and your one rep max being yeah not even. It's not even a warm up for these guys. You know uh, it was embarrassing. So I did you know lots of you know maybe we'll get into this, but I self sabotaged. I'd I'd have. Ooh, mysterious injuries which meant i had to duck off and see the physio when we were going to be in the weight room that sort of thing just burying my head in the sand trying to avoid it anyway long story short one of the guys took me aside one of the other players a couple of years older than me he was in great shape but but he he loved lifting he knew this is what i needed and he just told me you got to go every day for two weeks it's not optimal but you'll become addicted to the results it'll become part of your life it'll part, part of your habits and your routine and you'll start doing it and then in time it'll you'll, you'll see progress and and he was 100% correct. It's too late to save me and get me the career I wanted, but I did finally start to see results. And what I loved about the gym is you get back what you put in, right? So I, I worked hard and I actually did start to see those results. And, and then I was bitten by the bug. Um, and now almost 20 years later, um, I, you know, I love coaching people and, and try to help them to, to, to pack on muscle gain strength and, and most importantly, get the benefits that you, the surprising benefits. We all know you can, you know, change your physique and increase strength levels, but you also are more confident. You know, you, you're more of a growth mindset. You're prepared to take on challenges. You don't mind attempting and failing because you realize it's, it's a learning experience. All of these sort of things. I was nowhere near that as that shy 18-year-old that started out told I was too skinny. That's something that you, you mentioned, and I always have difficulty explaining that training becomes addictive, and it's a good thing to be addicted to. Right now, again, everything in moderation. Um, yes. Obviously, you know, I just... So just to clarify everything in moderation for folks listening to this podcast, I get blamed for a lot in the comments. So it's okay. <laughs> but I will say something that becomes addictive to me, it's, it is the mental aspect. It is the feeling mm. that you have in your head as compared that that is what keeps me motivated and what gets me training and back and what gets me back on the wagon. If my routine becomes inconsistent, because I crave that more than I crave a feeling of a pump in my biceps, or yeah, my quads. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. I uh, completely agree. And actually, I mean, maybe I was being a bit sloppy with my language mentioning the word addicted because I'm not actually addicted, but, but I do enjoy it. And, and uh, it's part of my identity now. It's like, a, you know, you, your, and your beliefs about yourself and then your habits follow from that. So the fact that I identify as someone who, you know, who gets in the gym and lifts means it happens, you know, four, maybe five times a week, almost every week. Um, and, and I get that enjoyment. But as you say, it's, it's the, the mental shift as well as the physical shift is, is one of the key benefits. 
Yeah, that's 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 for sure. This sounds like it's like a, a motivational entrepreneurial podcast. <laughs> I guess it I guess it can be, but you know, let's talk about our specific point of conversation today. And we're mm-hmm. talking about mini cuts, which is actually not a barbershop for children. <laughs> it's it's I know, that's a terrible <laughs> anyone, joke. Anyone, anyone looking at my haircut will know I'm not talking about hairdressing here. <laughs> well, that was a terrible joke. I'm sorry. To all the dads out there, you're welcome. You're welcome for the terrible yes. dad joke. I'll, I'm banking that one. Um, but mini cuts. And that's, in my perception, I'm going to give my opinion, and I'm a little biased because I've read some of the content you've produced around this topic on Breaking Muscle, and folks can check that out. We'll link to that in the show notes. But when I hear mini cuts, and when we first started talking about this topic, I thought, well, this seems like something that you know, maybe a bodybuilder would do to get ready for a show that isn't so important, right? It might not be their mm. big show for the season, but they just want to lean out briefly. Or maybe it's something you do when you have that beach holiday coming up and you want to feel a little bit more confident uh, and show off your musculature a little bit more, right? There's, it's more nuanced than that. And the reason you brought it up as a topic was how can mini cuts actually improve strength and hypertrophy gains, which is so mm-hmm. interesting to me. How can losing weight improve your gains, right? And when, yeah. we, when we first go into the gym, we hear that the two are so antithetical. So that was a long-winded introduction to today's topic. But mini cuts, how would you define them in a broad sense? So I would say a mini cut is a rapid fat loss phase designed to get you lean enough to start building muscle again. So as you identified, it's not a get shredded diet. Uh, there's two key elements to a mini cut. It's short in duration. So two to six weeks is the timeline I work with. Um, and on average, three, maybe four weeks. But it's a fast rate of fat loss, which you can achieve in that short period of time without any risk of muscle loss or hormonal disruption or anything. Um, and it is very much a tool that can be used to facilitate more muscle longer term. And, and, but quickly on that point, you know, you, some people will use a mini cut because they want to tighten up a little bit before uh, a holiday or a pool party or something. That's totally valid and it can be used in that way. Um, but the way I think about it in the long-term training plan is it's a strategic diet to allow you to build more muscle long-term. Now, how does that work? How does the strategic... <laughs> now I open up the Pandora's box, but let's, you know, let's eat the elephant one bite at a time here. How would that relatively short window of focused fat loss improve outcomes for muscle building later on? Okay. There's a couple of ways we can attack this, but the first one I'll go with is I think it just allows you more muscle building weeks per year on average than if you do longer, slower diets because it's short and it's rapid and fat loss is much quicker than the muscle gain, right? So whatever diet you're on, you can lose fat quicker than you can build muscle but in a mini cut you can lose fat at an accelerated rate or you know a very quick rate uh, without any risk of muscle loss in, in that time period now if you're losing fat quicker it means you can get down to a low, uh, lower body fat quicker and that means you've got a longer runway for your next building phase um and you've got more weeks of the year so if you think of the traditional maybe people are like oh i'm going to bulk for six months and i'm going to diet for three months but i'm going to diet relatively slowly because i don't want to i don't want to be too aggressive because that's not sustainable no one can diet for like 12 16 weeks really aggressively will will you'll fall off the bandwagon you'll you'll blow your diet and it's it's pointless most people can buckle up and do three four weeks pretty aggressive pretty strict uh get their head in the zone of just tunnel vision i'm losing fat that's what i'm doing then i'm transitioning out of this so purely on the basis that means you get more weeks to be in a surplus which is what you need to be gaining uh muscle and uh, yeah a significant level uh, purely from that aspect 
it, it achieves that. Does, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. So far, I am on board. Okay. So then there are other factors, So, or, or maybe more nuanced ones. But for example, uh, the more you get with it, the fatter you get, the fatter you get kind of thing. So there's a, you're familiar with a P ratio or partitioning ratio. Now, this has been looked at in the scientific literature a little bit, if I'm honest. There isn't enough breadth of information really to give us conclusive um, facts to work with here, but it gives us some, some guidelines plus a ton of anecdotal um, evidence in my experience with, with clients, but also loads of other coaches out there. Now, as you gain muscle, the more muscle you gain, uh, as you, you need to be in a surplus. And with a surplus comes a little bit of fat gain. And then there tends to come a point as people get fatter, that ratio shifts from being quite nice and favorable uh, of you know a, a high proportion of muscle and a small amount of fat to shift the other way. And then for every pound you gain, it's disproportionately high in fat uh, and, and low in muscle. Now, if you're going to extend your bulk or whatever your building phase, whatever you call it, out fighting tooth and nail for a pound on the scales, but for every pound you gain, it's mostly fat, it's kind of not really worth it. And it's just meaning you've got a longer period to diet afterwards. So it's inefficient muscle gain and lengthening a diet, which if you want to get jacked, isn't a great combo. Whereas if you stop that a little bit earlier, before you get to that point, you can very quickly drop a bit of body fat, get yourself into a more favorable position, and then you can get back to gaining. And the leaner you are, the longer the runway, like as I, as I mentioned, the bigger the window of opportunity for stacking weeks and weeks and months and months of being in a surplus and packing on size. So, so that's you know, another way of looking at it. Is there any particular diet protocol or diet protocols or techniques uh, that, you know, when you are working with a client on a mini cut, you might steer them toward? And again, this is not a medical podcast. We're not necessarily giving nutritional advice. Talk to your medical provider before undergoing any significant change in in lifestyle. Although, you know, we hope that resistance training is part of a healthy lifestyle for you. How are you going to, you know, a client comes to you, they're a great candidate for a mini cut. Where might you steer them? on nutritional advice and protocol for this, for this three to six week duration? Sure. So um, I'll have a view of, I know the kind of macronutrients that I, I would like them to be consuming. And now how I communicate that to the client is, is different based on their individual needs and their approach and what they've had success with. So if they've been on a really low carb diet and they've been successful before, you need to factor that in. That's just a bit of the art of coaching, I suppose. But really from uh, the, the, the hard and fast numbers, I'll look for them to have the, oldest time one gram of protein per pound of body weight as a pretty good rule of thumb for their protein content when you're cutting having a reasonably high amount of protein helps with uh, retaining muscle mass uh, so we, we, we want to keep that in there and i find that that amount's enough now there is some science out there that you might want to go higher but that's my that's my, my my starting point one gram per pound of body weight as far as fat goes what i'm looking at with fat is i want enough to make sure that hormonal function is optimal. Mm. Now, you can achieve that on actually quite low-fat diets, especially when it's a short period of time. This is another thing, how you set up a diet for a, a longer, say, competition prep, 16-week diet versus a mini-cut. But 0.3 grams per pound of body weight is going to be enough for people to maintain optimal hormonal function. But, but also, fat is the most calorie-dense of the macronutrients. There's nine calories per gram of, of fat, whereas four for protein and carbs. So if we can bring uh, fat relatively low it means their calories can be low but we can get more food volume in through that protein which is very satiating and if we make smart choices with the carbohydrates you can still be quite full on a mini cup 
but the, if you're going that route, the food may be a little blander than the, the bulking dream, dreamer bulk diet you've been on beforehand. Um, and then, so after we've put, I set the protein and fat, the rest of their calories come from carbohydrates. Now, anyone listening now, is, what do you mean the rest of the carbohydrates? It's probably a bit vague, right? So I'll have established what's their maintenance calorie intake? How much, what rate of loss are we looking at? And maybe we can discuss that in a moment. Yep. And then based on the rate of loss they're looking for, okay, what's their theoretical, and it's only theoretical, but theoretical calorie deficit they need to be in to achieve that. Um, okay, so based on that, their height and their weight, this is, uh, this is the number they're going to be shooting for as a ballpark. Um, we know that there's four calories per gram of protein. So since we're having a gram per pound, we can calculate that out. We are having 0.3 grams of fat per pound. We can calculate that because you just times that by nine to get the calorie value. So whatever the, whatever's left over, that's carbohydrate. So that's uh, and like on this kind of medium when we're chatting, throwing numbers and equations out there. It can be a bit confusing for people, but hopefully that, that kind of makes sense. And then I think, it, you know, in, in, the, in the article on the website, that's, that's all mapped out with some example equations if anyone wants to check that out. Um, and then I suppose the one thing I'll say uh, with diet is for this period of time, I would I encourage people to be in a calorie deficit, but not a nutrient deficit. So uh, we don't want to be uh, missing out on all those micro uh, nutrition from fruits and vegetables, for example. So I tell people, basically, one of the rules of thumb is like trying to eat the rainbow. So as many different fruits and veggies as possible. Uh, it's a nice, easy thing that they can just be thinking about. Well, how many different colored um, veggies did I have today, for example? Um, and most fruits and vegetables, very fibrous, quite low in calories, really quite filling. Um, and the other, the other thing on that point is to some extent, only some extent, that the body works on a feedback loop of, uh, feedback loop, sorry, of nutrients. Um, and so if you've got a really rich broad spectrum of micronutrition nutrition coming in, even if your calories are low, it's not going to, to sort of, um, to, to, to panic at, you know, for one of, you know, a scientific term, which is that is no way scientific, but the, the calorie deficit and the hormonal shutdown and the slowing of metabolic rate that can occur if your nutrient profile is really good, you're just going to offset that just a little, buys you a slightly better results in this kind of really short-term aggressive diet. Well, I do want to get to rate of fat loss here in a second, but I also want to, but your choice, do you want to talk about that first or do you want to talk about adjusting any training protocols on first? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, let's go with rate of loss. Love it. Because that Love kind of ties into the nutrition, then we'll get, then we'll uh, swing around to the training. So yeah, your rate of loss is different based on you, uh, the individual involved, and largely based on your body fat percentage. So if you're, as a, as a rule of thumb, I generally get people, if they're north of 15% body fat, they can lose at a higher rate than someone, than someone who's like 12% body fat, for example. So if you're 15% body fat or higher, I would suggest you lose between one and a half and 2% of your body weight per week on a mini cup. So making this really simple, uh, if someone weighs uh, 200 pounds and they're losing one and a half percent of their body weight, they're, they're losing three sort, sort of uh, four pounds a week. In, in that range, right? Then if you're in the 12 to 15%, so, you know, like actually pretty lean, but you just want to tighten things up to have a really long muscle building phase, uh, I drop that down to one to one and a half percent of your body weight per week. So again, that 200 pound guy is losing two pounds a week. So it's still quite an aggressive um, rate of loss. Uh, and then if you're 10 to 12%, now the leaner you are, the risk of muscle loss goes up a little bit. Now it's really, really small. If we, as we're going to talk about, if we're doing the right things training wise, 
it's a short duration diet and you're keeping protein high the chance of muscle loss is is almost non-existent but just to be cautious i dropped the rate of gain down a little bit to about a half to one percent for those guys now if you're any leaner than 10 percent, you don't need to be mini cutting you're lean enough right like so we just we take it off the table it's that's the whole point is it's a strategy to allow you to get lean enough to bulk again if you're less than 10 percent, you're definitely lean enough to be to be in a position to be to be bulking We'll get back to that in just a second, but first a quick shout out to today's episode sponsor, Organifi. Organifi makes a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high quality ingredients. Take their red juice as an example. Formulated to recharge mind and body with a delicious superfood berry blend of premium organic superfoods, potent adaptogens, antioxidants, and a clinical dose of cordyceps. Go to Organifi.com forward slash barbend and use code barbend for 20% off your next order. Now let's get back to the show. Well, let's talk then about training protocols and how 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 are those adjusted uh, or not adjusted? You know, during during <laughs> a mini during during a mini cut to minimize because obviously on a mini cut, look if you want to gain muscle, the mini cut is not going to be the best mechanism for that, right? It can set you up for muscle gain, but it is it in itself is not the window in which you're going to be optimizing for muscle gain. Right. No, absolutely. You're 100% correct. So there's, uh, I've got two answers to, for you here. We've got the, the general one, and then maybe we'll go into a more granular detail of how I'm working with clients. So how should you train in a mini cut? Well, what built muscle best is what retains muscle best. Mm. And in this diet phase, uh, I, I, I encourage people to train the gain. Their, their mindset is, I'm actually going to try and build some muscle here. But as you've identified, they're in a calorie deficit, quite an aggressive one. Chance of them really packing on size and showing any notable muscle gain almost non-existent unless they're in an absolute genetic freak and then they don't need to they won't be worrying and tuning into this they'll just be going to the gym doing whatever the hell they want and looking amazing so so yes yeah, so your training won't be dramatically different there will be some differences though um your ability to tolerate volume is probably going to be reduced because you have less energy coming in so your recovery capacity is slightly reduced so the listeners may well be uh, familiar with terms like MRV, like max recoverable volume, minimum effective volume, or uh, MEV, min- um, minimum effective dose, these sort of things. And then in the middle there is MAV, maximum adaptive volume. I would tend to suggest if you know those kind of landmarks for you, this that's amazing information. You want to be between MED or MEV, so the minimum effective dose, and your maximum adaptive volume, somewhere in that ballpark. Now, to give broader brush strokes, in my experience, somewhere in the region of 10, maybe 15 sets per body part per week is entirely doable for a mini cut. Now, you will feel like you're training really hard and your recovery may suffer slightly, but it's, it's just two, max six weeks. It's a short period of time. So sort of you, 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 you dig deep, you're a bit tired, but you can, you can get through that. Uh, so those are sets a week. How often should you hit a muscle group or the frequency thing? I tend to like people to hit most major muscle groups two times a week on a mini cut and biasing our efforts towards compound lift, but not relying solely on those because they're very taxing. And as I said, fatigue is going, may become an issue because you're on lower calories. So if you insist on only squatting and deadlifting, chinning, benching and overhead, pressing your way through this, you probably feel great for a couple of days um, and you'll burn a ton of calories. So you might be, you might even see some nice uh, initial results. But your recovery may suffer and you may kind of drive yourself into the ground a bit early. So I would bias those exercises, put them at the, the highest skill, multi-muscle um, group, multi-joint exercises early in the session, but then strategically use some accessory work. 
Now that may mean getting something. There's not much so so much spinal loading by supplementing some squats with some split squats, or it may even be using you know machine type stuff like leg press or even a leg extension to get some some stimulus for those muscles, but at a lower uh, fatigue uh, or stimulus fatigue ratio. So that's the only other thing or two, two other points quickly on these broad mm, brush strokes. Please, yeah. Like I said, train train to gain. So progress. Look for progressive overload. If you can increase the lift, do it. Don't get caught up in the, oh, I'm dieting, so my lifts are all going to tank and I'm going to get weaker. There's no reason in this period of time why if you don't, if you don't train hard, you shouldn't actually see some lifts improve, um, especially relative to body weight lifts. Like your chin up sh- should improve because you're actually going to be noticeably lighter. So you should see your reps go up on those. Um, I've, in my experience, pressing exercises suffer first. But most other lifts do do pretty well, and uh, you know there's no noticeable drop off, and some of them climb. But your, your benching or your overhead press may may suffer from my experience before other things. Um, and then the final point is set yourself up for success. Like if I what if I've described to you just their training style sounds awful to you, don't do it because you're already going to be making your life difficult by deliberately starving yourself. Let's not be around the bush here. We are choosing to consume fewer calories than we need. So you need to have a program that you're excited to attack and the challenge inspires you to work hard. So to some extent, while also the theoretical uh, frequency, volume, intensity stuff matters, what really matters is that you're like, right, I'm looking forward to hitting the gym today. I'm going to crush it. That's, that's huge. And it goes back to the mental component we were talking about, right? If you're yeah. not enjoying the journey and if a dramatic change or even a small change in training completely derails your ability to go in there and work on something that is good for you and that is working toward your mm. goals, then it's not worth it. It's absolutely yeah. not worth it. Like, and I, I think a lot of people don't, you know, we get caught up in certain protocols around training, like, oh, I'm a, I'm a Texas method guy, or I'm, you know, I'm a mm. five, three, mm. one person, you know, et cetera. Things can get stale. And if something's not working for you in the moment, it is actually okay. It is okay to change. Right, we want to be here for a good time and a long time. We want to make this a yes. lifelong habit, right? Yes, one hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Uh, that's that's a key point. Um, and then the other thing uh, is, there's such a thing as adaptive resistance. Your body is an incredible adaptive mechanism. It adapts to whatever you do. Now, it doesn't adapt from one session to the next, right? But eventually, it will become a little bit resistant to the stimulus you're providing. A pro- that's why programs tend to get a little bit stale. It's not that the program's a bad program. It's just your body has seen that has been you've hit it with that stimulus enough times that it's become a little bit resistant to it. So uh, strategic variation, not just randomization, but strategically varying your workouts over time makes sense. And and one of the most crucial things, because you're right, people almost become slaves to the system, um, but their their passion goes. And, you know, like there's, there's nothing will kill your gains quicker than doing a bunch of half-hour sessions. Um, if, if, you, if you are excited and you go and put in 100% effort into your workout, that will beat the most scientific workout in the world if you just don't like that program and don't put your effort in. Awesome. Tom, I appreciate it. Are there any other common questions or topics related to mini cuts that maybe you get, like this is kind of the frequently asked questions section or maybe the myth busting section that, you know, you might want to just specify or, you know, any points you want to reaffirm? Absolutely. Um, So, well, let me throw a question to you. How long we got here? (laughs) <laughs> we got about five more minutes. Okay. All right. Let me quickly, quickly run you through a couple of things I think are important. So I'll quickly, I said I'd go a bit more granular on the training. Yeah. I'll quickly outline something I found really effective uh, with my clients lately. And then one of the um, questions I get a lot is about cardio. So maybe we'll throw in a bit, some guidelines for, for cardio. Great. So 
Um, now, as we said, this is like this is designed to help you build more muscle longer term, right? So, I have the, the way I tend to set programs up. You know, different phases. It's kind of peri- it is periodized, but it's uh, it's structured in a way to maximize muscle growth long term. Um, and what, in my experience, one of the major reasons people fail to hit their results and they is that they they either get injured or they hit a really long plateau. They don't know how to fix it. Mm. They get frustrated and they stop. And then the reason they stop making progress is because literally they stop training. Well, no. You know, no, no wonder you don't make progress if you're not training. So I like to use what I call a, a primer phase. Um, and it's literally primed to help you grow. Now, in the past, I used to do a primer phase. Then I'd have people go through a building phase, which would maybe be 12 to 16 weeks, depending on where they're at. And then we'd go for the skinny guys. We'd use a maintenance phase to consolidate gains. And then into a mini cut for the slightly uh, more gifted uh, for muscle growth. We'd, we'd skip the maintenance phase. We'd go in the, into the mini cut. Now, what I've actually found is when I'm putting people into that mini cut, I'm setting themselves or them up for muscle gain by the nutritional aspects of being in a deficit. Now, I found if I use some of the key principles of that primer phase alongside the mini cut nutrition, we get you know sort of a two two plus two equals five, a slightly synergistic effect because they get lean, which facilitates a longer runway of muscle growth. But we put in that foundation phase, which is basically foundation for the next three to six months worth of muscle building. Um, training um, and there's there's four factors i like we, we work on we work on the, the four s's because it's easy to remember but stability skill output so um stability is your your ability to uh, resist force sort of you know, as opposed to express force and a lot of people they're not stable their joints aren't stable so they can't then fully exert force so like they lose pounds off their squat because their hips aren't stable etc so we spend that that's addressed skill output i basically that's your your key indicator lift so if you're going to build your workouts around some key compound lifts we bias effort on those and spend some more time on those we do more sets further from failure with those to build that capacity structural balance is just making sure you're uh, equally strong left to right front to back top to bottom so maybe some you know things like single arm rows or bulgarian split squats uh you know quite a lot of unilateral work to fill in those gaps uh, and then the strength output is your ability to make a muscle, the target muscle, the limiting factor, and take it to an extreme level of effort and intensity. And that's relative effort. So basically taking a muscle to failure. And so we'll actually use some machine-based stuff to do that. So some people struggle to build their legs. It's maybe because they can't take their quads to that point of failure. We'll, we'll learn to do that. And the leg extension gets a bad rap, but it's a great tool for teaching someone to take that the quads to the extreme fatigue point. Anyway. So that's those components go into the training program. The other sort of volume intensity stuff is still there. The diet comes in play, and then really that's a great launch pad for them to then go into their their next building phase. Excellent, excellent. I appreciate that. Anything else? You want to talk uh, about cardio? Can, cardio, right? Cardio, yeah. Got it. Cardio. Who, who doesn't want to talk about cardio? Um, <laughs> so, so there's two things I would I tend to people to uh, tell people about cardio when it comes to mini cutting is make sure you still spend more time lifting than you do doing cardio, right? You know, this is not, this is bodybuilding. I mean, even if you're not a bodybuilder, the whole point is we're trying to build your body, not body wasting. So we don't want to be spending hour and hours doing cardio because that's one way to get lean, but the, it dramatically increases the chance of you losing muscle mass, right? The body will make adaptations, turn you into an endurance athlete rather than a strength and power athlete. So, we, you know, make sure you are focusing on lifting and the cardio is there as, a, as an additional uh, tool to lose fat if needed. 
Um, and then the other thing is to be extreme about it. And so what I mean by that is either do really, really low intensity lifts, low intensity steady state. And I mean, just getting out for a walk, moving, uh, burning some calories, but at such a low level, it doesn't interfere with your recovery or, and you need to be cautious with this because it's very draining, um, on your recovery, but you get, but it can work is high intensity. And I mean, like really going hard, but for a short period of time, most people that think they're doing high intensity interval training, uh, are not, they're doing kind of moderate intensity. This is really pushing hard for like 15, 20 seconds, quite long recovery period. It, it can be quite effective, but it is also very draining. So you need to be careful how you program that. The one thing I would say is avoid that middle ground, what I call miss, uh, moderate intensity, steady state. So this is not the time to start working on your five or 10 K PB, um, because that duration at that intensity is more than likely going to be catabolic and make those, those negative, as far as we're concerned with our current goals of packing on site, negative adaptations. So yeah, so, so avoid, avoid that middle ground, either take it super easy. And my preference is if you're, if you have time and it's schedule dependent because it, you know, the one downside of lift is that it takes a long time to walk a few miles. Um, but it doesn't impact, impact recovery. In fact, it probably improves your recovery if you can do it. So if your schedule allows it, Go for, go for that low, steady pace um, exercise. That's a phenomenal tool to add into a makeup. Amazing. Tom, I super appreciate you joining us today and sharing this insight. Where's the best place for people to follow along with the work you're doing today? Uh, best place to find me is just Instagram at Tom McCormick. Um, pop on there. If you've got any questions, feel free to DM me and uh, I'll be happy to help out. Amazing. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.